Well, good evening. How's everyone doing tonight? Yeah, you can applaud. I know you're not applauding for me. We're applauding for this evening uh, where we get an opportunity to say thank you uh, to God, our creator. And so uh, I am so excited to be here tonight with you. For those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Prentice. I'm the uh, lead pastor at Bethany West Seattle. Uh, and tonight's a special night because all the six locations, we gather here tonight to say thank you uh, as one voice, as one community. So hello to all six locations that are here, uh, including the balcony, including West Seattle. I love my people there. Uh, and the, uh, the viewers online, I don't know what camera it is, but hey, welcome and happy Thanksgiving. Uh, to you as well. Uh, and so tonight we're going to do a little, something a little bit different. Uh, obviously we're talking about gratitude uh, and, and thanksgiving during this time of year, especially right now. Uh, but tonight, rather than give a, a sermon on gratitude and thanksgiving, uh, I just want to share just a few uh, reflections that I had. And so tonight we will do this. First, we'll talk about uh, reasons why it's difficult to be grateful all the time. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, but saying thank you and, and seeing uh, areas in our lives to be grateful for is difficult. And so why is that? So we'll talk about that. Then we'll talk about just a few reflections around gratitude. Uh, and then lastly, we'll talk about some practical applications on how to pursue and continue this idea of thanksgiving, especially around this season when it's so forgotten uh, in our culture, in our world, and in our lives. And so uh, as we do that, let me pray and we'll continue. God, thank you so much for the ways that you've blessed us. Whether we see it or not, there's things in our lives uh, that we are so thankful for, and may we see that, may we be open to that with our eyes, with our hearts, uh, and may tonight be a reminder for us to say thank you. In your name we pray, amen, and God's people said amen. As we talk about 1 Thessalonians, right, it says, uh, pray always, always give thanks uh, and rejoice with all of your life always again and again. And we see that this is a tough challenge for a lot of us. Now, I know that it sounds a little difficult, but Paul here is saying something radical. He's saying in everything that you do, rejoice. In everything that you do, pray. In everything that you do, give thanks. And for us to better understand this idea of what Paul is saying in 1 Thessalonians, uh, we have to go back to the book of Acts. Uh, in book of Acts chapter 17, it gives us a little bit more context of why Paul might be saying uh, these radical statements to the church of Thessalonica. Uh, back in Acts, it, it talks about how Paul and it says his companions, including Silas, uh, they uh, were going into the city uh, of Thessalonica or the, 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 place, the, the place of Thessalonica uh, and sharing about the grace and the work and the life and the death of Jesus. And during this time, that was a big no-no, right? They didn't like that Paul and his people were coming and talking about the work of Jesus. In Acts chapter 17, it says this. It says, Paul went into the synagogue on three Sabbath days, and he reasoned with them. He says, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, so Paul is trying to share the good news to the people of Thessalonica. He says, this Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is, listen to this, is the Messiah, the Savior, the King. 
He says, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas and did a large number of God, and so did a large number of God-fearing Greeks uh, and quite a few prominent women, it says. And then in verse 7, it says, uh, people are complaining that Paul and Silas and his companions are sharing the good news uh, of Jesus. And so it says this, it says, these people that disagree, the opposers said, uh, they are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, a crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. See, when Paul and Silas and the other companions were coming into Thessalonica and saying, guess what? There's an actual savior, a different savior, a different Messiah than Caesar, the one you hail, the one you see as king, the one that claims to be Lord. I come and I give you a different message. And the message is Caesar is not king. Actually, Jesus is king, the Messiah. And it says people were in turmoil because Paul and Silas and the companions were speaking against the teachings of Caesar. And so this led to a major, major persecution in Thessalonica where Christians were being killed for their beliefs. They were being beaten down for their beliefs. There was violence. They were treated like second-class citizens. Uh, and it got so intense that Paul and Silas had to flee Thessalonica because their very own lives were in danger for sharing and converting the people into being followers of Jesus. And then we get to 1 Thessalonians where Paul has the, the boldness and the courage to say, when life gets hard, and I can imagine Paul saying this, Paul saying, I know what it feels like. You may not know this, but I was just in Thessalonica and I was being persecuted for my beliefs and what I was doing in the city. And not only that, he's talking to a group of people. So he's writing this letter back to the Thessalonians saying, I know what you're going through. The persecution is continuing. Your people are being beat. Your people are being killed. Your people are being treated like second-class citizens. I know what's happening yet. Rejoice always. See, knowing the backdrop of this is so audacious, yet in the midst of all that, Paul says, Rejoice, pray continuously, and give thanks always. That's a tough message. Uh, I'm sure it was a tough message for the church of the Thessalonians to hear, but it's also a tough message for us today. If some of you guys are sitting in this church in the pew saying, I know, Prentice, you're talking about gratitude. I, I know that it's Thanksgiving, yet I'm sitting here and it's difficult for me to be thankful. And so here are a few reasons why I think, I believe that it's difficult to be thankful. Number one is this, we're too distracted with the things that we don't have. We're so blinded by the things that we don't have we have a difficult time saying thank you for the things in the midst of our own very eyes right in front of us. Uh, I shared this story last week where uh, a couple weeks ago, I bought a house. No big deal. I bought a house. Uh, first time homebuyer. So I, I, I remember uh, I had my friends come and, and help me move. Thank you to the friends that helped me move. Packed the boxes, set my furniture and, and all of that. And I remember they all left. And I sat on my couch with boxes around me and I looked around. And in the moment, 
where I should have felt so thankful for the things that God has blessed me with, especially this new season of my life, the very thought that I had was not thank you, God, for the blessings. The very thought I had as I was sitting down on my couch was, man, only if I had one more bathroom. <laughs> oh, man, then it would be perfect because we all know that I live there by myself. And, of course, I need two bathrooms. <laughs> Oftentimes, we're so blinded by the things that we don't have, we have a difficult time being grateful for the things that we do have. Second, it's difficult to feel thankful, and I'll just say this out loud, because many of us, we feel entitled. We may not say this out loud, and I may not say that I'm entitled, but the very fact is, how can we be thankful for the things that are in our lives when we feel like those things aren't a gift, they're actually an obligation? When we think that things are owed to us, then how can we be thankful? Of course we can't be because we believe we deserve, deserve it anyways. Thirdly, it's difficult to be thankful because we're apathetic towards it. To be really honest, when we talk about gratitude and thanksgiving, the reality is we don't even think about who to thank. We don't even think about who to be grateful for. We don't even acknowledge the things in our lives to be grateful for because we're so busy with our own things, with our own gathering, with our own upward mobility. We have a difficult time uh, of being grateful because we're entitled. And I'll be the first one to admit there's plenty of places in my life where I believe that's the case for me that I need to repent from and confess and to transform. And here's another one. It's difficult to feel thankful because of our circumstances. It's difficult to feel thankful because of our circumstances. I mean, this time of year, when we get to the New Year's, all over social media and we, what we say to our friends, we say this all the time, I can't wait till 2018. Man, good riddance that two, 2017 is almost gone. Did you guys ever say that? Did you guys ever say that last year? Oh, man, good riddance that 2016 is almost gone, uh, and, and I can't wait till 2017. As if uh, when the clock strikes midnight on January 1st, our problems suddenly disappear. What we realize is even when we wake up the next day, the problems and the issues and the grief and the mourning and the sadness, it's still there. And how can we be thankful during those moments? Matter of fact, we can't. Not only do we feel like we can't be grateful and thankful for the things in our lives, because of the issues that are happening, we feel like we have all the reason to be bitter. Everything is falling apart, so of course I'm not going to be thankful. If anything, I'm just going to be upset and bitter and complain and grieve. See, this year... It was my first full year. I just completed my first year lead pastoring at Bethany, West Seattle. Uh, and I had the privilege and the honor to walk alongside many people who lost loved ones, who lost relationships, who've lost a home, who lost jobs. And the very question that they ask is, in the midst of that, how can I be thankful? And so I want to offer a few reflections really quick before we end. But I want to ask us this, as, as we even continue this reflection, ask yourself, am I a grateful person? Am I grateful? 
Or, or do I fall in line with one of these? How can I be grateful? I have too much going on. I'm too busy. I'm too apathetic. I'm too entitled. Do we fall into one of those? It's a powerful question. Are you grateful? Am I a grateful person? And I love Thanksgiving. It's, it's one of the seasons that forces us, to, uh, forces us to hold a mirror to our face and ask that question, am I grateful? But here's some reflections I want to offer. The first reflection is this. Gratitude becomes an entry point to healing. Gratitude becomes an entry point to healing. I remember uh, just a couple days ago, I, I was watching the Seahawks game with a couple of friends, Bruce, Bruce and, and Kathleen. Uh, and I was telling them, I was racking my brain on what to speak about tonight because I know that the topic is gratitude and thanksgiving but I feel like everyone has heard the message of Thanksgiving at church, especially on Thanksgiving. But Kathleen responds to me uh, in, in her experience as a woman of prayer, which I can vouch for, as someone who has served in, as a Stevens minister who walks alongside people in the darkest of season, says this, in my experience, Prentice, she says, she says, oftentimes gratitude leads to healing. Gratitude leads to healing. In other words, uh, the irony is this. The very thing that we think is a barrier to gratitude is the very thing that leads us to healing. The very thing that we think is a barrier to gratitude becomes a vehicle for it. Do you see the irony here? We make a list of all the reasons why we can't be thankful I mean, if you're being honest with ourselves, we can list a, a, a whole piece of paper on why I shouldn't be grateful. The irony is you can take that list and say, those are the very things that, are, that will actually lead you to gratitude. See, and I say this all the time, how can I be grateful? I'm hurting. Uh, I'm in pain. I can't forgive. I'm angry. I'm sad. I, I'm mourning. I have lost. And yes, that is so real. And for us to say, those are the actual things that are barriers to my gratitude, I would say in God's kingdom, in God's economy, those are the very things that become actually vehicles to healing from it, to pursuing joy, forgiveness, and, and peace in those circumstances. The very thing that we think is a barrier to gratitude becomes a vehicle for it. A couple of winters ago, I spoke here for the longest night service. And I shared a story back a couple years ago when recently my grandmother died. And I remember sharing that it was a very difficult season of my life. As my grandmother, you know, in the Korean culture, lives with the family and becomes a second mother, uh, and we were very, very close. And I shared a story of that loss. The long side service is here a few days before Christmas, and I encourage you to, to, to attend, to participate, especially if you've lost something or someone or some aspect of your life. It's a time of mourning and grief, and I was sharing my story of my own loss. I remember after sharing that, immediately someone comes up to me and says, Prentice, your talk was so helpful to me because I just recently lost someone special in my life. And I remember thinking, man, what God's timing is so powerful, it's so unique. The very thing that was painful in my life ends up being healing, not only towards me, but to others. We actually ended up praying 
for one another from that point for several months on after. And God is that kind of God, that redemptive, loving, unconditional loving God that says the very thing that you think is a barrier becomes healing, not only for yourself, but for others. So when he came up to me and said, Prentice, I know how that feels. Thank you for sharing. Suddenly, though I was still sad, though I was still grieving, I was able to say thank you for the relief, for the healing in my soul. I love what Viktor Frankl says. Uh, he wrote this book called Man Searching for Meaning. He's a psychiatrist, a founder of Logotherapy. And he was a Holocaust survivor, so he knows something about suffering. He says this, he says, in some ways, suffering ceases to be suffering at the moment it finds a meaning. In some ways, suffering ceases to be suffering at the moment it finds a meaning. The very thing that we think blocks us from, from gratitude, again, is the vehicle for it. But we have to ask the question, what is in the pain and the anguish and the hurt and whatever you think is the barrier to gratitude, whatever it is, we have to ask, what is in there for me to learn? Because the moment we find purpose in the things that are blocking us from gratitude is the moment that suffering ceases to be suffering and it becomes purposeful. And now it's not suffering. Now it's a lesson. Now it's growth. Now it's transformation. And now we have something to be thankful for. Remember, I have a friend here, we were driving not too long ago, and she got into a car accident, and all these things were happening in her life. And I remember I was telling her, I was saying, man, if I were you, I'd be really upset. Uh, it was like, things are just not going well, isn't it? I get it. And I'll never forget her response. Her, her response was, all I'm doing is I have to ask, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to say? And, and oftentimes through our experiences and the things that are happening in our lives, God is trying to say something to you. God is trying to teach you something and until we find that, of course, it's going to be a barrier to gratitude. But once we recognize what God is trying to teach us and what God is using our experiences for, then we can say thank you. And no longer are those traumatic experiences, although traumatic and painful and lamentful, yes, there's a time and place for that, and you should. But now we have a, a reason to say thank you. And the application is this. The application is what are you saying? I invite you, if you are here and you're saying, I can't be thankful because of X, Y, and Z is becoming a barrier, my application for you tonight is to pray this, to pray, what are you saying? Pray that to God, shout it to God, cry it out, say, God, what are you saying? And I can almost promise you that God will reveal that. And now there's a place for gratitude in thanksgiving. Which leads me to my second reflection. My second reflection is this. Gratitude and lament can hold hands. Gratitude and lament can hold hands. In the kingdom of God, it's not either or or. God's kingdom allows for an and. There's a space for lament 
There's space for suffering and anger and grief. The two dichotomies can actually be held together simultaneously. This is the beauty and the mystery of the, of the divine. In 1 Thessalonians, in verse 15, Paul acknowledges that there's wrongdoing. But he says, in that wrongdoing, I acknowledge it. You can name it. You can acknowledge it. But don't fight back wrong with wrong. I'm going to invite my friend Abigail to share this poem by W.S. Merwin, who was an anti-war activist. He wrote this poem. Uh, It was a Pulitzer Prize winner in 2009. Uh, And it's this whole idea of holding both truths, that yes, we can lament. Yes, there are things that should bug us and make us angry and upset in seasons of mourning and grief. And we can find gratitude in there. We can find thanksgiving. Listen. With the night falling, we are saying thank you. We are stopping on the bridges to bow from the railings. We are running out of the glass rooms with our mouths, full of food to look at the sky and say thank you. We are standing by the water, thanking it, smiling by the windows, looking out, in our directions back from a series of hospitals, back from a mugging after funerals, we are saying thank you. After the news of the dead, whether or not we knew them, we are saying thank you. Over telephones, we are saying thank you in doorways and in the backs of cars and in elevators. Remembering wars and the police at the door and the beatings on the stairs, we are saying thank you. In the banks, we are saying thank you in the faces of the officials and the rich and of all who will never change. We go on saying thank you. Thank you. With the dying animals around us, our lost feelings, we are saying thank you. With the forests falling faster than the minutes of our lives, we are saying thank you. With the words going out like cells of a brain, with the cities growing over us, we are saying thank you faster and faster. With nobody listening, we are saying thank you. We are saying thank you and waving, dark though it is. See why I had her read it and not me? This is the reflection that you can hold lament and pain and suffering and gratitude together. And so the application is this, acknowledge and name your and. For me, it was my grandmother passed, and I was sad, still sad, I was grieving, and I had the honor of walking alongside someone in a powerful way because of my shared experience. What is your and? It's okay to name it both. Reflection number three is this, gratitude opens a door to hospitality. <clears throat> Gratitude opens a door to hospitality. Before Paul says the famous words of rejoice always, pray continually, uh, give thanks in everything, Paul says, acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who, admo- who admonishes you. Hold them in the highest regard. Can you, can you believe that? Paul says, love those who care for you, serve those who care for you, and serve and love the people who admonish you. And it says, brothers and sisters, warn those against idle and disruptive uh, and encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Paul's talking about hospitality here. And here's what I 
say about hospitality, and I preached on this last Sunday, and I loved it. Uh, the, one of the greatest examples of hospitality uh, is in Matthew chapter 25, uh, where Jesus says, hey, I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then his friend said, Jesus, when did we see you like this? And he says, when you do this for the least of these people, you are doing it for me. Now, let me give you a little bit of background just real quick. What I love about what Jesus says, he says, when I was a stranger, you welcomed me. See, in the Greek, the word stranger is xenia. Xenia. So Jesus is saying, when I was a stranger, when I was a Xenia, you welcomed me. And in Hebrews and in Romans, the actual word hospitality in English is used. And the actual definition of hospitality in the Greek is philoxenia. Philos meaning brotherly or sisterly love, like Philadelphia, it's a city of brotherly love. And so in the Greek, you attach Xenia, stranger, and Philos, brotherly love. So what hospitality means is love the stranger like a brother or a sister. Uh, I know when we think about hospitality, we think about the words like, oh, serving a great dinner and, and, serving a ha- and having a great dinner party. And, and sure, that is a, an outflow, a byproduct of hospitality. But the Bible, the Bible says hospitality is actually loving and serving and giving to the stranger, to the poor, to the marginalized, to the outcasted. And what's equally fascinating is that the opposite of brotherly, sisterly love, phobos, is actually the word phobos, where we get the word phobia, to be afraid or to have hatred towards something. And so the opposite of philoxenia, the love of strangers, is xenophobia. We've all heard that word before. The opposite of hospitality is xenophobia, to be afraid of the stranger, the marginalized, the poor, the homeless. And all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God calls us to show hospitality, xeno, philoxenia, to love the stranger, the homeless, the poor, the marginalized, as your brother and sister. And the biggest question is why? Because all over the Old Testament, Leviticus, Deuteronomy says, because you were once strangers, you were once slaves, God rescued you It wasn't you. It wasn't what you did. It was what God did for you, what God provided for you. Thus, you should be grateful. You should have gratitude. And that gratitude should lead to hospitality. Don't miss this. Gratitude helps us release entitlement because then we we understand it's not us. It's God who saved us, who rescued us. And because of that, we can be thankful. And because of that thankfulness, we show hospitality. Love of the stranger. And so the application is this. Create an inventory. What's your inventory? In what ways has God loved you, has given to you, has provided for you? What are the things right in front of your eyes that God has blessed you with? And to know that it wasn't because of you. It's because of God's mercy and God's grace. And as an outflow of that, we can have a heart of gratitude and the outflow of gratitude is serving others. I'll go through this quick. Last two, number four, reflection. The fourth reflection is gratitude says it's okay to surrender. 
It's okay to surrender. When we say thank you, what we're doing is we're acknowledging that God is God and we are not. And there's so much freedom in this. There's so much freedom in this surrender. I was talking to a friend who has children just a couple days ago, and she says, Prentice, sometimes I have to remind myself that, that, that my children, my son and my daughter, they don't actually belong to me. They belong to God. And so when I surrender the very gifts that I'm acknowledging, I'm able to be thankful for my son, my daughter, because when I acknowledge that it wasn't because of me necessarily, it was by the grace and the gift of God that I can say thank you, that's when gratitude gets powerful. Imagine this, imagine it's your birthday, or it's your friend's birthday, imagine your friend's birthday, and you spend time and money and a good wrapping job and all of that, and you put thought into it, and you give it to your friend, and your friend opens up the gift, the thing that you work so hard to wrap and pay money for and put so much thought into it, and your friend says this. Your friend says, well, duh, of course I should have this. I mean, doesn't, wouldn't that bother you? Wouldn't that get under your skin? And yet, that is oftentimes what we do with the things in our lives. But when we actually surrender the things and say, you know what, this doesn't belong to me. I surrender it to you, God, because you gave it to me. Then we say thank you. If it's a surprise gift, it's something that you need, if someone put thoughtfulness into that gift, you would say thank you. You wouldn't feel entitled. You wouldn't feel like it's yours, it's owed to you. You would say thank you because you understand that it's a gift. And the application is this. What in your life do you have to surrender? I'm not saying quit your job. I'm not saying give up your children. I'm not, what I'm saying is when you surrender, you're saying it wasn't because of me. It's because God is God and I am not. Now I'm able to find gratitude. And lastly is this, gratitude is a choice. Gratitude is a choice. Sometimes we have to fight for it. We have to be intentional about it. Remember last year around this time, Pastor Richard had uh, the social media thing going that said, hashtag 100 days of gratitude. And I loved it because it forced me to be very intentional about acknowledging the things that I need to be grateful for. But remember, day after day, I'll take a picture of something, post it, hashtag 100 days of gratitude, awesome things, delicious food, travel, people. And then after about two weeks, I'm like, oh man, I'm kind of running out of things to be grateful for. <laughs> and I have to step back and say, Prince, are you, are you kidding? There's so many things. And I remember I, feel, I was feeling a little bit desperate. Well, I have to post something, so I'm going to take a picture of my car. It's nothing fancy. But it forced me to say, wow, actually, thank you that I get to be in a vehicle and go from point A to B and then from point B to point A again because my last car didn't do that. <laughs> I remember drinking, taking a picture of my faucet. Wow. I could say thank you because I have water to drink right out of the tap. Pictures of friends. Wow, I have, fr I have people in my life that love me. It forced me to be very intentional, and that's going to require of us too. So the application is this. Gratitude is a choice, but what's helpful 
is creating a mantra. What's your mantra? My mantra was 100 days of gratitude. Force me to think about what I'm grateful for. Maybe it's a Bible verse for you. Give thanks always. Maybe that's your mantra. Maybe it's something you repeat in your head over and over again to remind you that you have something to be grateful for. And here's the deal. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, and even if you don't, I want to say this, that God loves you, each and every one of you, no matter who you claim as God, no matter whether you were forced to be here or not, God loves you. And my hope and desire is that that is enough to say thank you. And we come to the table here and we talk about communion. And the original word for communion is Eucharist or Eucharisto, which literally means to give thanks. And so in just a moment, uh, I'm going to actually invite the worship team back up here. In just a moment, as a response, we are going to take communion. We're going to take the Eucharist together, the Eucharisto. It's our way of saying in the midst of everything that is happening in our lives, even if we think there's nothing to be thankful for, even if there's barriers in our lives, this, I can take a deep breath and say thank you. I can say thank you. So may this be the response tonight and forevermore. That when Jesus broke bread and shared this drink with his disciples, he says, take this bread in remembrance of me. This was my body that was, this is my body that's broken for you. Take this cup. This is my blood that was shed for you. And, and maybe tonight, before you come up here, we take an inventory of the place that God has blessed you and has gifted you, and we say thank you. Maybe it's a time we take an inventory of these barriers in our lives, and we take that barrier, and we make that actually a vehicle to gratitude by asking God, what do you have for me in this? God, help me to be intentional. Help me to fight for joy. Help me to fight for thanksgiving. Help me to go to battle for gratitude. Because at the end of the day, Eucharisto, communion, thank you for your cross, for your life, your death, and your resurrection. And so I invite us to, to pray. I'll pray for communion. The worship team will sing. And in your response, when you're ready, the table is open for everybody. Go to the right of repew. Uh, we'll go counterclockwise. It's, it's by intinction, which means you'll grab the piece of bread, you'll dip it into the juice, and you'll partake. If you are gluten-free, we have that in a blue basket, and I'll be serving that. Come right to the center. Let me pray. God, thank you so much that you love us even during the times where we feel unlovable, even during times of doubt, even times where we think there's nothing to be thankful for, yet we are thankful of your faithfulness. Help us to be grateful. Help us to know the ways that you've given and blessed us, not to ignore lament and grief. 
Help us to hold that side by side, knowing at the end of the day, you rescue us. And we thank you in this communion that we take as our way of saying thank you for your work on the cross. In your name we pray, amen.